1: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, Dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And when I say it's Tuesday, I mean it's technically Tuesday, but it's essentially late Monday night. It's 1.55 a.m. Eastern. I've been in New York CBS Sports Network all night. Norlander has been in Indianapolis at both Elite Eight games tonight. Now that we're done and both of Monday's games have been completed, we are here to talk through the first day of the Elite Eight. We had two games. Both got lopsided quickly. Houston led Oregon State by as many as 17 points in the first half, 176-61. Baylor led Arkansas by as many as 18 points in the first half, 181-72. So it'll be Baylor against Houston on Saturday in one national semifinal. We're going to talk about both of Monday night's Elite Eight games just here in a second but first let me remind you why you should be streaming cbs sports hq the ncaa tournament is still unfolding but we only have five more games to go so college basketball season is gonna be over soon but if you want to stay up to date with everything else in the sports world the best place to do it is cbs sports hq it's your streaming answer just think about what's on tap for, for this week alone nfl draft and off-season coverage major league baseball opening day is thursday jacob Degrom pitches thursday bellator 255 is friday and when news breaks and it always does cbs sports hq will be on it immediately as evidence consider that i did a mike woodson indiana interview on cbs sports hq live by phone on sunday at the corner of 53rd and 9th sports never sleeps and neither does cbs sports hq it's available on your computer your phone via the cbs sports app and you connect the tv i stream it all day you should too at cbs sports hq a free 24-hour Sports News Network. All right, Dead Leg, let's take Monday's two Elite Eight games in the order in which they were played. We'll start with Houston, Oregon State. In a previous podcast, we discussed how Houston would likely eat Oregon State up on the offensive glass, and good Lord, did the Cougars ever eat Oregon State up on the offensive glass. 19 offensive rebounds led to Houston getting 15 more field goal attempts than Oregon State, and that was that. Rest in peace, Beaver Fever.
0: R.I.P. B.V. Feeve. See you later, and <laughs> nice knowing you. I do respect the move here going chronological order. We can do that. Save the best last for last kind of deal here, Parrish, because we got plenty of Baylor stuff to get to. Thoughts on this game from my end. First of all, it is a wild uh, swing from witnessing games in Hinkle Fieldhouse in the Sweet 16 to going to Lucas Oil Stadium where they're at twenty five percent capacity, and I'll be honest, I don't know how it came off uh, on TV when you were watching in the studio, but for the the entirety of the first half, and for you know the first six or seven minutes of the second half, there was nothing. Like there was no feel. It was like they were just playing a game and it just didn't mean anything did you did you pick up on that at all in the broadcast or did tv as it sometimes can do kind of make up for a little bit of the lack of environment and atmosphere that was in lucas oil stadium for the first you know 60 of uh, beavers versus cougs
1: because of the way the setup is around the court and because of the way cbs is is shooting the game you don't see empty seats you don't see the you know sporadic fans I mean they they did they would go to some fan shots like they do and then you would notice hey there's nobody in those seats right in front of those fans or right behind those fans but in terms of when you're watching the game you don't see anything other than the court and the stuff surrounding the court which it, it looks very much like NBA bubble-ish
0: yeah no I got you it was it, listen it's drastic and at, I can't deny that part of it's So I was like Man, even this in Banker's life for the Final Four title game, they should have just done it. I know why they didn't. Yeah, do it. like, here's work. what
1: I would say. It, it, on, on television, you cannot tell whether yeah. they're playing in an 80,000-seat dome or a 9,000-seat Hinkle. There's, there's no way to tell.
0: Yeah, no. It's just vantage point from the camera. That's pretty much it. Camera at Hinkle's very low, and then obviously at Lucas Oil, it's it's more removed there. Whatever. So Houston gets this game done 67-61, but you know, Oregon State did make an actual push, and they, they came all the way back in an impressive fashion, no doubt about it. But to no surprise on this end, one— beavers covered thank you very much but two houston was able to shut down ethan thompson you know he was three of 12 from the field he needed to have a better game and he just didn't a a lovely run for oregon state i was uh, my the seats actually in, in lucas oil uh my my gratitude to the ncaa uh the media actually we're in the we're in the end zone if you will so we're probably about 30 feet behind the stanchion and uh, it makes for an interesting viewpoint but a, but a good one and so I was on Houston's side and man oh man in the second half when Oregon State was really starting to make his push uh, that coaching staff I mean they are it, you can tell that it is a, a tightly knit group that respects each other and they are fiery I mean Samson 65 and I have a I have a column that published on him I'll put it in the pod description here when it when it goes to publish here overnight that you can read if you'd like but He's 65, has taken the not-so-scenic group back to this point. And to me, it just, when I was watching and listening to him in these huddles as best I could, I, I just, it was kind of emblematic of why they brought him back they that houston job needed someone that was good enough to get it out of the dregs of the sport after three decades of irrelevancy and desperate enough to take the job and samson was the guy for it and he was not letting up on his players at all even when they were up double digits there credit to the guys for responding Quentin grimes had 18 points he had a couple of big three-pointers one of them which he turned around and uh Talk trash. I think to Maurice Calou, I think that's who it was. It might have been Jared Lucas, but either way, he, <laughs> he had some words to say, and uh, his story is awesome as well. So uh, Houston was just ridiculous on the boards once again, grabbed 46% of its misses on the offensive end, uh, wound up you know, averaging 1.10 points per possession there. They get the win in the style they want to get it. They move along. First time since 84. Congrats to the Cougars. Oregon State, it was a hell of a run. Who knows the next time you'll be able to make an Elite Eight. Um, who knows with the way this tournament works. But just cherish it for what it is. And for Houston, I think it's just, this This is awesome. And, oh, by the way, I know we've talked about it on the podcast here occasionally. In fact, if anything, podcast listeners know that we have consistently talked about the Cougars, given them love, and provided perspective on how good they've been in the situation that Sampson has as uh, both inherited and, and turned the program into. This has been a top five team in the predictive metrics for a good while here. This is not surprising. Before the tournament started, they were they were picked as the most likely team to make the final four on the right side of the bracket because of the way their region broke out there. So uh, good on the Cougars who've been flirting with top five status for most of the past month plus or so, and now they're back in the final four. It's a pretty cool story.
1: Oregon State covered. You're correct. You're correct but thanks to a three-pointer with five seconds to go.
0: (laughs) I didn't even see it. I was hustling out for my post-game HQ head outside the stadium. I didn't even see. I got there. I was like, did they cover? Did they cover? I was watching the highlight. Boom. They covered. Okay,
1: it's 67-58. Houston up nine, covering. You know, 10 seconds, shot clock off, game's over, and Oregon State just launches a three with five seconds to go. And then the Houston dribbles out the clock. That's the basketball game, 67-61. What in the world? Phenomenal. What in the world? It is awesome. I Obviously, I'm very familiar with Kelvin's story. I'd never attached it to Quentin Grimes' story, but you sort of can in the sense that Kelvin Simpson was the head coach at Indiana. And, oh, by the way, had a top-10 team led by Eric Gordon, like maybe on his way to his second Final Four as a head coach, the first, of course, being at, at Oklahoma. And then, like, you know, uh, something that was considered a scandal then but is no longer consider, considered, you know, in the post-Wiretap world, uh, people just sort of laugh about it. But in the moment, in 2008, it was a big deal. And he was forced to resign. And he was almost banished from the sport. Like, there were people one like, Calvin Sampson may never coach in college again. Mm-hmm. In fact, suggesting that he shouldn't ever coach in college again. And then he... You know, decides to take the Houston job, coaching in college again. And now here he is back in the final four at the age of 65. That is awesome. Meantime, Quentin Grimes, McDonald's All American, goes to Kansas. McDonald's All American goes to a blue blood. And it just didn't go that well for whatever reason. Decides to transfer out of the program, goes to Houston. You know, like the, the a program with great tradition in the sense that. You know, Clyde played there. Akeem played there. They went to three straight Final Fours in the early 80s. But then it was like a whole bunch of nothing for a long time. And now those two guys, you know, there's a scenario where Quentin Grimes should have gone to Kansas in the NBA and Kelvin Sampson should still be coaching at Indiana. Like, that's an alternate universe. And instead, they both end up, for not great reasons, at Houston. And now they've teamed to take Houston to the Final Four. Like that—that that in and of itself is pretty awesome.
0: It's—it's it, it's something, man. We've we've already got two really incredible stories, just in terms of what—and we'll get to Baylor in a second. But, but what what's happened here, long Final Four droughts. I've been so busy tonight, I haven't been able to look this up. Cause Samson is 19 years removed uh, between Final Four appearances. That's obviously one of the longest. I don't know if it is the longest for a head coach between his first and his second, or you know, but just between two appearances in the Final Four. What he's been able to do is uh, is something else, and you'll hear more about that. And It was his 1,000th game of his head coaching career in college on Monday night, and of all places, it's in Indiana. By the way, as my column details, it was 15 years to the day uh, that he got this 1,000th win and got to the Final Four, that he left Oklahoma under, you know, uh, you know, trying to get ahead of the NCAA, NCAA, if you will, to go to Indiana. He worsened his situation there, torpedoed his career, and uh, here he is back at IU, uh, uh, not at IU, but at Indiana with IU just up the road. And um, it's just something, man. I, 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 he, some of what he did was self-inflicted. Um, like, there were rules, and he broke them. Some of them were stupid, but then the NCAA did say that he misled investigators. So some of this was of his own doing. Like, when he got that five-year show cause, I remember that was back when, um, man, I was I had my own. I was going—I was indie, baby. I had College Hoops Journal. I remember writing about that in the moment and how big of a deal that was. You were obviously that's a seed, the, that's
1: a the, That's the thing. Like, I know it's very easy for people 13 years later to go, Kelvin Simpson got fired for nothing. In the moment, there weren't really anybody saying Kelvin Sampson got fired for nothing. Nope. Like, in the moment, there weren't a whole lot of Kelvin Samson. Like, I lived through it. I covered it. I was at Assembly Hall for his last game ever at uh, at Indiana. And the reason I was there is because everybody kind of knew it was his last game, that they were going to negotiate a settlement and he was going to be removed as Indiana's basketball coach. And, you know, like, feel free to Google it and find it if you can. I don't remember a lot of people saying, this is crazy that they're going to make Kelvin Sampson resign. It seems crazy all these years later, but in the moment, the perception was basically,
0: he's getting what he gets. And the idea that he would ever be able to return to college basketball, it wasn't, as I remember, it wasn't seen as like an absolute impossibility. It just wasn't seen as a likelihood, a five-year show cause. He goes, you know, off to the NBA, uh, and I got a. I've got a good anecdote in the, in the column that I'll say for that. It, basically, he got to the NBA, and there was something that happened in a practice, and he decided, you know, like, this is just, I just want to be head coach. I want to be someday get back to college. He gets to Houston, and here we are. So uh, redemption, uh, if you want to call it that. I wouldn't say it's total redemption there. And just to know, by the way, uh, game ends. I'm, like, scooting out of there before it ends to get on my HQ. It, it, the game was decided, right? I didn't see the, the cover play and all that. And I'm walking out to hustle out, and as I'm walking up, I see none other than Jim Nance holding his phone, uh, recording a video, Houston alumnus, and soaking in the scene there. And uh, we kind of walked together for about you know thirty paces or so because he had to walk. We were walking in the same direction. He was getting ready to call the second game there, uh, but he was beaming, fist pump in the air, and uh, and that was kind of a cool moment for him. I can't imagine he ever thought he would call his alma mater in the final four, given again. Like Houston's, Houston's been terrible for almost the entirety of Jim Nance's career calling college basketball games for CBS. So that'll be a fun little addition for Saturday night. It just on the game uh,
1: specifically, you know, we don't get everything right when we start trying to, you know, analyze what might happen between two basketball games tomorrow or next week. You can go see my final four and one picks if you don't believe me. But we talked about this game. And one of the things we pointed out is that. This is one of those situations where the thing that Houston is great at, Oregon State is awful at stopping, and it was offensive rebounding. Houston entered the game ranked second in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, according to Ken Palm, and Oregon State was 228th in defensive rebounding percentage. In other words, Houston is great at, at grabbing offensive rebounds, and Oregon State is awful at preventing people from grabbing offensive rebounds, and that's obviously a rough combination and then it it was glaring from the start, and they end up grabbing – they missed 42 shots and grabbed 19 offensive rebounds. They grabbed 19 of their own 42 missed shots. Offensive rebounding percentage was like 45 46%. Um, Fabian White had five. Um, Oregon State, I went and checked after the game, dropped to 250th in defensive rebounding percentage at Ken Palm. Um, it was just a, a – You know, I think some people might look at the box score and go, oh, Houston shot 32.3% from the field, 34.4% from three, and still won. How did they do that? They got 15 more shots than Oregon State got because they grabbed 19 offensive rebounds.
0: Just an incredible job. Uh, And some of those plays in real time were like, when I was watching how Houston was – Uh, basically uh, assembling its offense, if you will, and how it reacts to when the shots get up, it's kind of mesmerizing, man. And that is something that is not instinctual. I mean, that is just repeat after repeat, repeat, get it done. They did, and they're moving along. And that will suit them well, I think, to keeping a close game against Baylor. But that's for another podcast.
1: Baylor and Arkansas was the second Elite Eight game on Monday night. We're going to get to that next. But first, check this out. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the second game on Monday night was Baylor-Arkansas final score Bears 81, Razorback 72. That means Scott Drew is now. The first Baylor coach since Bill Henderson to take the Bears to the Final Four. Bill Henderson, of course, did it in 1948, then again in 1950. Now 71 years later, Scott Drew has done it too. And I just know Bill Henderson, Grandma Jewel, looking down right now, happy as can be, while Papa wonders exactly what went wrong. <laughs> okay. Bill? I saw you say CBS Sports. I saw him say Bill Henderson on CBS Sports HQ. I got a Bill. I got at least two Bill Hendersons on CBS Sports Network tonight. Love it.
0: Did you? But okay. Any Terry Teagle? I did not get a Terry Teagle in. Well, I got you covered. I got a Terry Teagle and a Bill Henderson. Didn't get a Vinny Johnson in, unfortunately. Uh, Lace Darius Dunn couldn't get any of that either, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, th- this is close to the culmination, if not the outright culmination. Come on now. Back to the Final Four, 71-year break. Congrats to uh, Baylor, y- your fans, Scott Drew, everyone except Bryce, who doesn't care, of course. And he does care. It's just amazing. It's, it's amazing. It, 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 And the thing is, I mentioned this earlier in the day on HQ for one of my midday hits. This could actually, you know, we never have a 2020 tournament. I get all that. They were good enough to do this a year ago. Like, if we had had a 2020 tournament, this could easily be, you know, back-to-back Final Fours. Uh, Who knows what what would have happened in that tournament to begin with. But for this team to return and get to this point, I find satisfaction as an observer of college basketball when objectively great teams for pretty much the entire duration of a season, and I understand there was a hiccup because of COVID and all that, when it gets to the tournament and they just get to the Final Four, I'm all for a little spice and variety in my Final Fours, for sure. But I also like to see at least one or two teams if there are these seasons where, you know, such teams exist, where they're inside the top five of the rankings for most of the season, that the randomness that this tournament can sometimes provide doesn't kick those teams out. Because, of course, we want to have the best kind of Final Four that we can possibly get with the best teams out there. Baylor is deserving of it. They got a good push from Arkansas, and if we want to talk at the details on that, we certainly can. Um, I will note that Arkansas's fan base rivals just about any other fan base in terms of unrelenting unending just distilled outrage toward the officials now it was <laughs> not a it was not a balanced game i'll give you that but this fan and I say this judging off the two games I saw in person. I've never been uh, to that marvelous uh, building in the middle of uh, in the middle of Arkansas, but this they they were fired up, man. They, you could tell it had been a long time since they had uh, gotten that far. So, congrats to Baylor. Competitive game. It, it, Baylor could have won by twenty seven in Arkansas. Didn't let it happen. The J.T. note foul out with like fourteen minutes ago was hurting him as well. What were your thoughts on the night?
1: Well, I mean we we talked about this one as well uh, on a previous podcast. And one of the things I said was that, you know, Eric Musselman has now won five games in the NCAA tournament, uh, two at Nevada and three at Arkansas in this NCAA tournament. That's how you get to the, to the elite eight. And in every game, all five wins, they went down by double digits and then started playing with a student sense of urgency and, and came back and won the game. And the point I made is that you can do that against Colgate you're better than Colgate, way better. But you go down double digits to Baylor, that's a different deal. It's one of the best offensive teams in the country. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. You know, you can go down double digits to inferior teams and come back and win. It's impressive when you do it, but the fact that you've done it can over and over again suggests that it's possible. This is a different level. You are eight-and-a-half, nine-point underdogs to a Baylor team that is considered to be the biggest challenger to Gonzaga winning this national title. And if you go down double digits here, it's going to be hard to come back. And then they start the game and these dudes went down by double digits almost immediately. I mean, it was down by 18 in the first half, down by double digits almost immediately. And it was like, really? Like again? And, you know, they, they came back and made it competitive, but they never got closer than three, I think. And that was that, you know, you, 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 it's not as simple as that. I don't mean to suggest that, but you go down 18 to Baylor. You're probably not winning the game. They went down by 18 to Baylor. They didn't win the game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a rough one, but it, I, I like to say big picture and stuff like this. If you're an Arkansas fan, you can, you can have the loss hurt you for the rest of the week or hell for the rest of the for the next two weeks. I was about to say that for the rest of the month, but we're about to hit April here. You got to the elite eight as a three seed in Eric Musselman's second season, and you gave what very well might be the number two team in college basketball, or hell, maybe the eventual national champions, who knows how this is going to go, a real game, and carry that with you into next season. What must has been able to do here... I it's just it's it, it really is i i feel like sometimes maybe i use the word incredible too much and i got to i got to be better about that this is incredible i know that arkansas was considered a sleeping giant and all that but when these losses come for for programs and tournaments like we should take a moment to acknowledge just the big picture of what was actually accomplished there the game itself i mean Davion mitchell is a st- I don't know how I, I, or when I, I, he became better than Jared Butler, but there was a little bit of chatter on Twitter about that that you might have okay. seen. Oh God, it
1: drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. Okay. And I'm fine if if like Davion Mitchell is awesome. He's gonna play in the NBA probably next year. He's awesome. I see every one of these dudes tweeting Daveon Mitchell's better than Jared Butler. Davion Mitchell's better. Okay, then why didn't you vote him first team All American? <laughs> okay. You he's you fired the same up. people tweeting this stuff are the same people who build these all American teams. And they all got Jared Butler first-team All-American, and then it's like, oh, well, Davion Mitchell's really better. Well, then why? Well, then what? Ha- then what happened to your All-American ballot? I'm not even arguing who's better. I'm just saying you can't say Jared Butler's the first-team All-American and then just on a random Monday night start going, well, Davion Mitchell's really better. Like, show a little consistency. I think they're one A, one B. That's I, fine with me. Yeah. Just, but th- here's the thing. Do a Twitter search when you get a chance. When did Davion Mitchell get better than Jared Butler? Like it, it seems like it happened tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> Baylor has been playing for four months. I never heard anybody say Davion Mitchell better than Jared Butler before tonight. Now and now it's like trending. It's like a, it's like <laughs> it's trending, trending, with, with, trending. With, with 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 Andrew Cuomo. It's like Andrew Cuomo's t- Kissed another woman inappropriately, and Davion Mitchell's better than Jared Butler. Those are the trending topics. Well,
0: actually, if you want to be honest, as we re- as we record this podcast right now, uh, th- one of the things that's trending is tied to Baylor basketball, and it ain't Davion Mitchell. It's it's the coach of the women's team that got knocked out, in her post uh, post game press conference. It's uh, it's actually a weird night for Baylor fans. <laughs> Dude, Kim, like it's all
1: like you. Nobody even asked you. You didn't even have to say it. Why did she say that for?
0: I can't get into this. I, I, it, I'm telling you, that's a wild night for Baylor fans. You lose in the women's tournament on to UConn on a no call that should have been a call. I mean, I horrific. Watched the Come on now, horrific. That
1: girl got fouled
0: twice by two different people, it's once terrible. in the face,
1: once on the arm.
0: Bad. So, and you know, the Baylor's obviously a, a woman's power. It's been, it's been. <laughs> it's it's been trying to live up to that Bill Henderson legacy for years and doing a great job of it. But then on the other side, you got the men's team, which uh, which moves along there and and gets this gets this win um, in 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 great fashion. I, just real quick from the scene after the game, uh, it was awesome to see you know Homer Homer and Janet in the stands. Didn't I I, I believe Bryce was in the building. I didn't see him. I did I did not see Bryce in the building, but apparently. Apparently he was there, and there's a lot of um, familial connections in this GP. Uh, obviously, we know Scott and the son of Homer, but uh, I'll go through Brooks, the whole family if you want me to. No, you're good. Okay. Alvin Brooks, it's too, it's too late for that right now. Uh, <laughs> Alvin Brooks uh, the third is a, is a Baylor assistant, which uh, such a really good coach and such a nice man. His father is the assistant for Houston, former head coach, Al, uh, Alvin Brooks II. So they're going to meet up in the Final Four. Uh, you, you know, Kelvin's got his son Kellen on staff. And Kellen's actually, weirdly enough, just how this stuff kind of ties together. Two years ago, uh, Kelvin Sampson turned down Arkansas to stay at Houston. And it's weird that like Arkansas got Moss instead and they made it all the way back. They got to the, the elite eight, just like Houston. They played in the same, uh, the same building tonight, but um, Kellen's the coach and waiting at Houston. And, you know, just kind of the, the ties that bind, uh, you know, the father, son ones in particular, I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty cool. And for Scott drew, he got, he got a, he got, I don't know if it was Gatorade bath, but he got dumped on doing some sort of post game interview there. And it was, it was a cool scene. It was also weird though. So Houston wins and normally, you know how this goes, like you win, you you cut the net down, you do the confetti celebration, all the all the people that you know and love that follow the program, fans and friendly, uh, fa- family and friends are there, they get the tickets, and it's just like an awesome scene, right, it usually takes like a good 30, 35 minutes, that's not how it was here. Houston wins, and then, you know, the other game's getting ready to, to start, and like, they're there, but it's it was just a weird juxtaposition. Baylor had a little bit more of it because it wasn't there wasn't another game following uh, the Bears there, but still at the same time, like a lot of people are filtering out of the building, and um, I did that. That's different from the tournament to this point. Like you win in the Sweet Sixteen, you win in the second round, the first round, like you're still advancing or whatever. But the Final Four, like cut the net celebration. It it was just not quite the same again. Out of necessity, but um, I couldn't notice, help but notice that that stood out being in the building when it was happening.
1: Okay, you mean to make Arkansas fans feel better? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is the way you do it. And you, you got the first part. You're in the Elite Eight in year two under Eric Musselman, and you had a chance to go to the Final Four. You were in a one-possession game in the second half with the top seed in your region. It got lopsided early, but you did you did battle back you did make it a game it was interesting in the end um you never have to hear about how you haven't gone to a sweet 16 since 1996 that's over mission accomplished there and while you're on this run the indiana job field the minnesota job field you know the, eric's name was attached to both of those to to different degrees and for different reasons indiana because it's I guess still one of the best jobs in America. That's what people tell me, and and Minnesota because he spent part of his childhood there. So those two jobs opened and then closed, and Eric Musselman is still the head coach at Arkansas, and I, I, I I'm assuming he would have remained the head coach at Arkansas no matter what. But I promise you, there's a scenario where Indiana's still open tonight and Minnesota's still open tonight, and Arkansas fans are going, okay, now what? What's next? And you don't have to worry about that now probably going to lose Moses Moody but you're probably not going to lose your coach and whatever he loses he has shown an incredible ability to uh, to replace it with good things via the transfer market and recruiting and I suspect that as long as Musk is the coach in Fayetteville um, you're going to be operating at a high level you will not have to wait another bazillion years to go back to the sweet 16 I don't even think you'll have to wait that long to get back to an elite eight
0: Two things. I thought about that very thing tonight. Uh, like, when's the next time Arkansas will be in the spot, and specifically in the Elite Eight? And I, I said, well, if Musselman's still the coach, I would put the if you put if you gave me under over under four point five seasons, I will say under. Again, it's hard to get to an Elite Eight. Um, you're right on that. Texas is still technically open. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I, it's not impossible. I you know Muss actually by his nature has been a a mover around. So we don't know where. The, it's actually kind of weird. Like. I'm still under the impression that you know Chris Beard has a humongous buyout, and whether I don't, I don't know if that's been determined or settled yet or not. But um,
1: and then and then and then the other candidate, um, and I don't know how real it is. Although Ramona Shelburne did report that he interviewed. Yeah. Like there's a heavy push among former players, including Kevin Durant, to hire Royo Ivy. And so, you know, if Texas can't get something done with Chris Beard, Royal Ivy is a is a real alternative candidate. And you know, listen. If I, if I, I'll put it this way. I, I'm assuming right now, Mus will be the head coach at Arkansas next season. But if I were Texas, I would be
0: interested in him. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but we don't know where the stage is with that. But if you're Arkansas, you really, really hope that's not. The okay.
1: Case. I was trying to make Arkansas fans feel not, good. Not, and I'm I'm now tr- I feel like not, we're scaring them again. I'm not trying
0: to. Listen, Hogs fans. Uh, many of you who just looked at just comically furious every time I looked over and <laughs> just angry. Angry, and I understand why. It was a rough one, but uh, we think you're back on the right track, and um, and more good days should be ahead. By the way, the Final Four is on Saturday, as a reminder, on CBS, and if you're wondering how you actually watch these games and what kind of ways, remember, go use the CBS Sports app on your connected TV or your phone, and from there, you'll see every tournament game left available to watch It's kind of like the gateway to all the action. So download the CBS Sports app. If you don't already have it, the best one out there so you never miss a minute of the rest of the NCAA tournament.
1: So half the Final Four is set. It's Baylor-Houston. On Tuesday night, we will get the second half of the Final Four. And obviously, we will be back here to talk about it after Tuesday night's two Elite Eight games are done. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Deagle, alma mater in the final four. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the iron College basketball in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. My God. Good lord. I never seen one. I didn't know this was gonna be like this. Kim Mulkey says it's time to stop testing basketball players. <laughs> she she certainly didn't see and this. She's code. out
0: of the tournament. <laughs>
1: Like maybe if you're still in the tournament and you want to make a stupid argument on behalf of your team, then maybe you're you're over. It's over for you. Why do you want to trend on Twitter for being a dum dumb when your team just got eliminated from the NCAA tournament? She, I know she didn't I know she didn't see this one coming. <laughs> I know she I know she didn't. She still doesn't even know it's here. Not only did she not see it coming, she has no idea it's still here. It's crazy. If you're not subscribed to the Out of College Basketball Podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, and we will talk to you again really late Tuesday night. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.